Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Oh, you didn't know? We're taking over! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling with a Bear. Are you ready to wrestle? Because this is the Bear of Texas, and you're listening to Wrestling with a Bear. And I am his podcasting tag team partner, professional wrestler, Chris Rex. Seven days, Chris. Seven days. Are you feeling it? Seven days until we are in Tampa, Florida. We will be at a bunch of events, which we'll be talking about later on in the show. I would like to start the show off by talking about how the pandemic has changed professional wrestling, has changed the landscape of professional wrestling, and how professional wrestling has strived through the pandemic. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Chris. This pandemic has negatively impacted not only professional wrestling itself, but professional wrestlers themselves. This has made me think of the likes of Drew McIntyre, Brody Lee, rest in peace, God bless him, God rest his soul. Especially for Drew McIntyre, because he's worked so hard. He's paid his dues. He's done everything he's asked for. He finally receives his main event push. The fans were happy. We were all going to see it live. But the pandemic took it away from him. And in Brody Lee's case, Chris, the fact that he made such an impact with AEW, the sad part is fans were never in attendance. It makes me sad, dude. It really makes me sad. When the pandemic had first hit, there was a few shows that were canceled that I was booked on. And I said, okay, you know what? This is for the best. I had no interest at all going out and wrestling. And then venues were closing. So now it's like, okay, where are we going to wrestle? And then people started booking shows in backyards and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I said, you know what? I don't want to take part in this. I don't want to risk traveling. And then you're not wrestling with a mask on. At that time, there was really no way of telling whether you had COVID or not. As time went on, promotions started putting in procedures like you have to show that you had a COVID test, that you tested negative. Once they started putting in these precautions, I started thinking more, okay, now we're moving forward. It's just so different watching wrestling without there being fans. That's really what we do this for, is for the fans. So to watch wrestling and hear, not only watch, but hear wrestling without the fans, it's so different. I think now that it's been over a year now, we've gotten so used to there not being fans. It became the norm. And now with fans being allowed to be in attendance now, slowly, where we're getting more and more fans in attendance, I'm telling you, WrestleMania is probably going to be the biggest pop. There was a tweet that was sent out where it said, it doesn't matter who comes out first in WrestleMania, but whoever is in that first match and whoever comes out first is going to have the biggest pop. Fans have not been able to share that experience. And that's what it is, that experience, that emotion. Fans haven't been able to share that in so long that no matter who is is the first person to make an entrance at WrestleMania and we're going to be there live, They're going to catch the biggest pop, and it's going to feel so special. It certainly will, Chris. But what I have to stress to you, brother, is that this is not going to impact me from a sports writing perspective, but this is going to impact me as a lifelong wrestling fan. I mean, it's been so long since I felt that energy, 
that passion, that drive, that charisma, being a fan in attendance during the pre-COVID times. Like when I went to that AEW show where they were Dallas, I swear to you, I had never felt such a drive. I had never been excited as a wrestling fan to be at a wrestling show in attendance. I cannot thank AEW enough for, for giving me the hell of a show. That main event, the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz in a Texas street fight, that's what I like to see as a wrestling fan. You're 100% right. Exactly how you said that emotion you get. There's one thing to watch it on TV. It's a whole nother to be there live. Even as a wrestler, when you're in the back and you're watching other people's matches through the curtain, there's nothing like that live experience of anything, of a concert, of anything that's entertaining. There is nothing like the live experience. Nothing like seeing it live before your eyes. And one of these companies that has strived throughout the pandemic is AEW All Elite Wrestling. They've really put on better shows since the pandemic. They've adapted to this no fans in the audience. They started putting wrestlers in the audience and they really got creative with it on how they can continue to produce a weekly live television product during a pandemic. You got to hand it to AEW, Chris, because Rather than trying to find all these excuses why they couldn't do this, like they just dug deep to find a way to make things possible, okay? Watching the highlights and what they post on YouTube, it's just so difficult to watch without the fans. I mean, like you just said, watching it on TV is, eh, you still sometimes get a bit of a drive, especially if you're watching with like five big wrestling fans around you, but... I hear you, man. Like you said, they found ways to continue to produce, continue to put out content, and they've continued to shock. One of the things that has been shocking with AEW is the talent acquisitions. And they've signed two of the biggest talents they've probably signed besides Sting. And that would be Paul White, formerly known as The Big Show, and Christian Cage, known as Christian in the WWE. The Paul White signing was huge. That was a shock to me. I didn't expect that to happen. He's been like that WWE guy. So that was definitely the least expected. Christian Cage was more expected for me. I thought Christian Cage originally, but still two amazing talents that can not only help the current TV product, but help the future talent that AEW has. When I saw why Paul White signed with AEW, his reasons, not surprising. Like you said, he's a WWE guy. He had been with WWE since 1999. I was six years old when he arrived at WWE by the time, you know, the World Wrestling Federation, the Attitude Era, Raw is War. But he explained that it was creative frustration, and he had just been unhappy for so long. And he even explained that, you know, a lot of wrestlers are unhappy, but it's not just creative direction, but it's like the direction that the company's moving in overall. It just seems like, in his case, the way to put it all together, WWE's going to a direction where it's not his wrestling element. It's not how he sees wrestling. And obviously, because Big Show's been around for so long, he's a veteran and everything, and they weren't using him properly, which made him really upset. So that's why he left. Well, you put yourself in his shoes. Think of yourself as the sports journalist that you are. And you've told me this countless times where there have been times where you've kind of not felt the creative freedom you wanted. It's pushed you to go pursue other writing opportunities. And it's the same thing. You know, he found greener pastures. You know, he found that the grass is greener on the other side. And maybe this can be an opportunity to reinvent himself. Absolutely. And his deal, it's not only as an announcer, but he's occasionally going to actually compete in the ring. I can't wait to see him compete in the ring, honestly. The matches he could have, think about the, the top-notch matches. 
he could have with talents like Brian Cage, Eddie Kingston, Lance Archer, Wardlow, even Marco Stunt. Marco Stunt versus Paul White. Marco Stunt versus Paul White would be the modern-day Rey Mysterio versus the Giant. I think a match with Eddie Kingston would really, like, would really knock people off their seats. And not only matches for Paul White, but Christian Cage, who has always been this underrated talent. And it's unfortunate. He's always been treated as this underrated talent. Like, you had Edge and Christian, and... Neither of them, in my eyes, are the Marty Jannetty, but he was kind of treated like the Marty Jannetty. Yeah, he was world champion, but he was never, he never accomplished what Edge accomplished. You know, he was never put in that, in that category with Edge. And when Edge came back from his neck surgery, I I thought for sure Christian would come back. When Christian came back last year and he got punted by Randy Orton and they started the whole Edge-Randy Orton feud, when... That happened. I thought Christian was coming back for a full-time return. To be honest, I, I thought so too. I think everybody did. And when that didn't happen, we were like, okay, I thought they're going to take him out. They're going to, you know, give him an injury storyline. He'll come back, da 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 feud with Randy Orton. None of that happened. And then he signs with AEW for pretty much the same reasons that Paul White signed with AEW. So he can show that he is that top caliber professional wrestler. You know, he's just as good as the Kurt Angles, the Eddie Guerrero's, the Brock Lesnar's. He should be in that category. When you think about matches that he could have, I don't think there is a person on the AEW roster that Christian Cage could have a bad match with. I had made my little list of Paul White matches, and I'm, then I'm sitting there going through the talent for Christian Cage, and I'm like, he could have a great match with anybody. And he proved it with his first match with Kazarian. I saw the highlights, but Christian Cage does not look like he's lost a step. It seems like age has not really taken any negative effect on him. He still looks great. He's still moving great. He does. Exactly what I was going to say. He's moving great. He's moving great. And he's outworking everybody. And I truly believe he believes that quote, outwork everybody. And in professional wrestling, yeah, we have gimmicks. But sometimes you have to sort of believe in that gimmick to believe in yourself. With a gimmick like outwork everybody. He's the workhorse. You have to believe that. You have to truly believe I can go in that ring and have a great match with anybody and outwork anybody. You're going to see a different side of Christian Cage. I'm telling you as a professional wrestler, as a professional wrestling fan, keep your eye on Christian Cage because if you thought what he did 10, 15 years ago was anything, wait till you see what he does in AEW. He's going to be up there with the Kenny Omegas. Christian Cage is just another guy I can say. I'm just so proud to say I watched him wrestle when I was a kid as a teenager, and as an adult. And he's still impressing the hell out of me. Just like Chris Jericho. Just like Paul White. Yeah. And you know who else is impressive? MJF. (laughs) This dude, to say that he's got charisma is one hell of an understatement. Listen, you know how they say you've got it. MJF has it. And he's only 24 years old. Exactly. He's young. He has so much time and room to grow. And at 24 years old, he is one of the biggest heels in the business. And I think he's taken his career and his status as a heel. He's taken it to the next level, Chris. He is. He's kind of reminds me of that old school heel of you live the gimmick. And that that's MJF. And he's doing a great job of it. And not only is he doing a great job of it outside the ring, of course, he's doing a great job of it inside the ring with his stable, the Pinnacle. 
Dax Harwood, no, FTR, Sean Spears, formerly known as Ty Dillinger, Wardlow, and of course, somebody that we know very, very familiar. He was once part of the greatest wrestling stable of all time, the Four Horsemen, Tully Blanchard. And they cut a promo, actually, on the latest AEW episode. And I love how Tully Blanchard said, I began my career with the greatest pro wrestling stable of all time, and I'm going to end it with the greatest pro wrestling stable right now. The way he delivered that promo, you believed it. You believed it. And for those that don't know how the pinnacle came about, MJF was originally a member of the inner circle, Chris Jericho's inner circle. After pretty much begging to be a part of the inner circle, the rest of the members of inner circle were suspicious and they had this feeling he was up to no good with the inner circle, but he became Chris Jericho's best friend. They had some of the best segments on AEW Dynamite together and it seemed to be working out, but then MJF got a little sneaky and started having private meetings with the other members of inner circle, which just grew to suspicion. And uh, Sammy Guevara wound up leaving. Would you like to take it from here? Sammy Guevara turns out he had a plan of his own. And that was to expose Maxwell Jacob Friedman in his true colors. And Sammy Guevara did just that. But it turns out, MJF had his plan the entire time, Chris. He made a fool out of everybody. He fooled us all. He made it look real. Like you just said, live the freaking gimmick, man. MJF did that. It is gold. And then he's got the inner circle right where he wants him. He's got them cornered. He reveals, I have been building my stable the whole time. They are attacked by the pinnacle. All of a sudden, the top heel stable becomes babyface. Now we have a war. The inner circle versus the pinnacle. Dude, I am so excited for this. This is what we want to see in wrestling. Yeah, it's been a long time since we had a good stable versus stable feud. They really haven't, and I don't think any promotion has really done a good stable versus stable feud in a while. And the origin of the pinnacle, it it makes me think, how far back was this plan? Because Tully Blanchard was the manager of Sean Spears from the beginning. Then Tully Blanchard became the manager of FTR, but they never crossed paths. They never even acknowledged that Tully was managing both FTR and Sean Spears. So it kind of makes you think, was this planned from the get-go? If it was, whoever's booking is doing a great job. I would have to say it had to have been because Maxwell Jacob Freeman sort of played the role uh, as an infiltrator. He infiltrated the inner circle. In that case, like a double agent, more or less. MJF fooled us all. They had to write it that way. It had to be planned for being. I mean, this had to be a plan for a long time. Exactly. That, that's the point I'm trying to make. This is what they call long-term booking. This is making plans for the future and making plans to build talent. Really, the only older talent that's in the stable is Tully Blanchard. So really, you got a bunch of guys who are still hungry, who are still on the rise. MJF, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler, Sean Spears, Wardlow. They're going to become names and this is going to be exciting to see. And another thing that's exciting to see is the working relationships that AEW has right now with other promotions. You know, this is something really, really cool. Keep in mind, everybody, this is not something that wrestling hasn't seen before. Back in the 80s, you saw this. I mean, not just in the 80s, but, you know, this goes back a long time. The National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA. Back in the 80s, you know, during the time when Ric Flair was at its peak, Dusty Rhodes, the Four Horsemen, it was all a governing body. 
talent was loaned promotion to promotion because back then, Chris, as you know, wrestling was not global. It was regional. The WWE did have a partnership with the NWA, but that was before Vince McMahon took over because, again, it was regional. And and Vince McMahon Sr.'s promotion was based off in the New York City, New Jersey area, right? Yeah, the Northeast area. Exactly. And that's the regional part. The AWA was, you know, the Midwest part, mainly Minnesota, but, but the Midwest. But when Vince McMahon took over... He seized that partnership because he wanted to move wrestling into a new direction, like make it global. But now that we see this today, it's actually something really good because when t- when promotions work together, this is the opportunity for everybody to grow. Everybody makes money. All these talents are being recognized by fans, and they- that means something, Chris. Imagine this. like The NWA, they're teaming with uh, AEW already. We know that because Thunder Rosa – frequently makes appearances on AEW as the current NWA Women's Champion, uh, Serena Deb, I believe the name is. Is that is, Am I right? Serena Deeb. Deeb, okay. Formerly, you know, she was part of CM Punk's Straight Edge Society. And then reportedly, Impact Wrestling's involved and New Japan Pro Wrestling is involved. So this is actually something that's growing. This is something that, w- that can work. This is kind of like a wrestling fan's dream right now, to have these promotions working together. Like you said, it only helps fans and it only helps talent, especially working with Impact Wrestling, who they've been up and down for years. This could truly help Impact Wrestling's exposure as well and kind of getting back in that, hey, we're not just the stepchild promotion. And it's going to create exciting moments for professional wrestling fans because think about the dream matches you can have between NWA and Impact, NWA and New Japan Pro Wrestling, which when was the last time something like that happened? Probably not since the 80s, as at least not on a large scale like this. AEW in New Japan, which people have been thriving for. It's like Tony Khan said, they're opening the forbidden gate. They're opening the forbidden door. And something that Tony Khan has been vocal about, and Kenny Omega himself, is the potential of a working relationship with WWE. Holy crap. Just imagine if WWE becomes involved in all this. You talk about dream matches, Chris. Well, here's a dream match I, I can imagine. Seth Rollins versus Kenny Omega. Now that would draw the attention of the, of, the, of the wrestling world. And the thing with partnerships and working relationships like that, especially in the wrestling industry, is there's one thing that always gets in the way. Greed. This all sounds great, and we both sound so excited about this, but then reality had just hit me. And how long... Are these relationships going to work out before one of them says, hey, no, we want to be number one. We want to be number one. All working relationships in professional wrestling, whether it's tag team, whether it's like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, who were cool with each other. But the idea of being number one always gets in their heads. And you can't really disagree with them because who doesn't want to be number one? At the end of the day, there can only be one number one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The only way this works is if they all on the same level, no promotion is bigger than the other. When it comes to money, okay, who's going to get paid what? Why Why is this person getting paid more for working here, but less for working here? These are all things that wrestling fans really don't think about, or maybe some do, but most wrestling fans don't think about this. And what goes into making these relationships work? How long are these relationships going to work? And If WWE does get involved, which is a real long shot, but if WWE does get involved, somebody's ego has to get dropped. And that's what I pray for. Like, the egos have to be dropped because the list of dream matches, I mean, these dream matches, it's going to make money for everybody. I mean, imagine 
Hikaru Shida taking on the NXT Women's Champion. But imagine that. Wouldn't that be a dream match that you, you would love to tune into? Shida versus Io Shirai? That would be, like you said, a dream match. Kenny Omega versus Seth Rollins. Think about it. We could get a Young Bucks versus Hardy Boys. We can get a Young Bucks versus Hardy Boys in a WWE ring. The options are countless as far as dream matches with working relationships. But again, it, it's all about dropping ego and keeping everybody on one level, the same level. If one promotion wants to be higher than the other, if one promotion feels they deserve more than the others, then it's going to fold. It's going to start to fold right there. Because then once one wants more, the next is going to want more, then the next is going to want more, and then you just start this staircase effect of, okay, now it's everybody wants more, 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 more. Nobody wants to be level anymore. Nobody wants to be equal anymore. It's unfortunate. I mean, there's the potential, but there's the risks out there. We have the potential to grow Wrestling with a Bear and WrestleWithABear.com, which hosts this podcast, and the Bear Man, Alex Alcazaz's new blog, No Claws Barred, which is available at WrestleWithABear.com. That's W-R-E-S-W-I-T-H-A-B-A-A-R.com. And as part of a weekly segment here, if you're not one of the 2,000 readers of his blog, we're going to let him serenade you with a audio version of his blog. This is No Claws Barred. The Intercontinental Championship, a very prestigious title in world wrestling entertainment. A championship that has been active for over 40 years, held first by none other than the great Pat Patterson. When it comes to a list of elite champions who have held this prestigious title, names that come to mind include. Macho Man Randy Savage, Brett the Hitman Hart, Owen Hart, Rick Rude, The Ultimate Warrior, Mr. Perfect, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Razor Ramon, Chris Jericho, The Miz, the list goes on. But there's one man, one man who, in my opinion, does not get the credit he deserves. In my opinion, he's obviously one of the most underrated heels, and obviously, I would say he's one of the greatest heels. I'm talking about the Honky Tonk Man. Let's not forget, the man holds the record for the longest reigning Intercontinental Championship. To be perfectly accurate, the reign lasted 454 days. That is a long time, especially back in the freaking late 80s. The Honky Tonk Man, as we remember, a gimmick of an Elvis Presley impersonation, being managed by none other than the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. A good gimmick being managed by the perfect manager. Nothing beats that. We'll never forget Honky Tonk Man winning the title, defeating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat under controversial circumstances. But here's something that y'all probably don't know. Vince McMahon originally planned for Honky Tonk Man to hold the title for a short amount of time because Vince wanted to put the belt on Jake the Snake Roberts. Unfortunately, after WrestleMania 3, Jake the Snake Roberts had his struggles. More specifically, a couple of failed drug tests. So obviously, Vince McMahon had to do something about it. And that involves a change of plans. But according to the research, Hulk Hogan actually convinced Vince McMahon to keep Honky Talk Man as champion for a long time. And it worked out well. Because being a heel, Honky Talk Man often retained the title by getting himself intentionally disqualified or by being canned out. That's the work of a true heel. We all remember he would smash a guitar on the heads of his opponents. He would talk on the mic. 
he would literally be arrogant and cocky like his theme music would say. Honky Tonk Man was not your average heel. He had to take it to that next level. Some guys, you know, like Chris has said before, they have to live the gimmicks. They got to take it to the next level. Overall, you got to take it to the point where the crowd legitimately hates you. If you have to take it, it means if the crowd even wants your head, then that means you're doing a good job. So Honky Tonk Man did that. He drove himself that high. That's what you have to do. That is why, in my opinion, he is the most underrated Intercontinental Champion because he did things that nobody would have expect him to, expected him to. Unfortunately, it had to end at the 1988 SummerSlam when he lost the title to the Ultimate Warrior in 31 seconds. He tried to regain the belt, but it didn't happen. His singles run began to fade away. He had a brief tag team with Greg the Hammer Valentine, known as Rhythm and Blues, but it didn't last long. After the 1990 Survivor Series, Honky Attack Man would leave. However, there is a happy ending to the story, because April 7th, 2019, the Honky Tonk Man was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and what better way to be inducted by none other than Jimmy Hart himself. Perfect way to end the chapter in his career with World Wrestling Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the Bear of Texas, a.k.a. Alex Alcazaz, with his audio reading of No Claws Bard, which is available at our website, restwithabear.com. If you didn't catch it the first time, W-R-E-S-W-I-T-H-A-B-A-A-R.com. That's where you'll find our podcast, No Clause Barred. And soon, we'll be having exclusive wrestling with a bear merchandise. Me and Alex have been talking about some products that we're going to be putting out and some designs that we love that we can't wait to share with you guys. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us for our second episode of Wrestling with a Bear. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at Rest with a Bear, W-R-E-S-W-I-T-H-A-B-E-A-R. And you can find us at restwithabear.com. Same spelling. Alex, let them know where they can find you. You can find me, ladies and gentlemen. On Twitter, my personal page at Bearman of Texas. That's Bearman of Texas, but keep in mind it's just TX. You can also find me on my podcast page, the Bear of Texas Podcast. That is at Bear TX underscore podcast. And you can find me on all social media platforms at Rex Russells. That's R E X W R E S T L E S. Please share this show out. Help us get these numbers up. We're just starting this podcast, but we're going to take this for one hell of a ride. And we're looking forward to Tampa next week. We'll be attending Generation Championship Wrestling, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, Violent Sex Suffering, and we'll be attending WrestleMania. I'm hyped up. I'm excited. Bear Man, I know you're excited. So again, thank each and every one of you for taking the time out to listen to us. Keep supporting professional wrestling.